The reading is from Luke, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. And this can be found on the page 1175, if you're following in the Church Bibles. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Elizabeth, very much. Uh, Just a word of introduction and a slight apology, and then we'll pray and get on with the sermon. Uh, Last week was Vision Sunday. If you weren't here, you're welcome to listen to it online. And we were thinking a bit about the history of this church and the future of this church, uh, and supremely that God can do far more than anything we can think of asking at all, or more than that. Just put up the last two verses, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. As the verses before the ones that Elizabeth has just read, uh, that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even think of asking, imagine, according to his power at work within us. And so the limit is how much of God's power he can get into us and how cooperative we are in all of this. And I used an illustration that is one of my familiar illustrations that Christianity spreads a little bit like contagious diseases. Now, Christianity obviously is a very positive thing, but contagious diseases spread when you get someone contagious with something in contact with lots of people, and it spreads. Uh, And if we are contagious with Jesus, if we're full of his spirit and living close to him, 
and incarnate in the world around us involved, actually God spreads Christianity. When you get people who are contagious in the bubble of the church, not a lot happens. And when you get people immersed in the world around who aren't contagious, not a lot happens. But we need to be deeply involved, close to Jesus, and involved in the world around us. Uh, here's the apology. Little did I know at the time that there was a contagious disease doing the rounds among us and that lots of people who were here last week went down with a nasty D&V bug in the week, myself included. Tuesday night, it took me out. Don't worry, we've cleaned all the door handles, everything, and it seems to have been a 24-hour wonder. Uh, it's been in the town around, various, it's not just the church. I've no idea who brought it in the first place. It's probably with the schools going back. There's a bug somewhere. It goes around that whole school. They go home. All the brothers and sisters get it. It goes to every school in the town, and we've all got it, third week of September, normal. Uh, normally I kind of sit loose to these things, but it completely took me out. And as I was in the bathroom on Tuesday night, I remembered this dangerous illustration I'd given. So anyway, I apologise if that had anything to do with it. I don't think it was my fault. Um, but if you've read your John Betjeman poem, uh, he says, it gets the matter over quicker to go and blame it on the vicar. So if you want to do that, I do apologise in any way. Uh, now we're... The point is that we are to be full of Jesus and involved in the world around us. And how closely the church walks to Jesus will affect how much God is going to do through us. And that is why in Paul's thinking, we come on to Ephesians 4, where we are today, where Paul is talking about the church, the body of Christ, and how important it is that we're united in Jesus. Uh, we had a look at the Ephesians 1 to 3 last term. Uh, last week was kind of the hinge Ephesians 4 to 6 is much more of the practical payoff of Paul's theology. This is what needs to happen. So let's pray that God will speak to us as a church, but also individually this morning. Lord God, our Father, we believe in you as we've sung. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive, risen from the dead. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, among us. Take my words, what you've led me to prepare. Supremely take these words in scripture and speak to us individually, but also to us as a church family, we pray. And then give us grace to put into practice what we learn, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just looking around uh, here as I've opened my eyes, and I've just spotted Will and Becky Jones. Becky is the new vicar at St. Mary's, who is our mother church. This is our mother vicar. Could you just stand up? And we'd love to give you a round of applause. Will and Becky as well. Let's give them a round of applause. There we are. I won't be able to embarrass you very often on a Sunday because you'll be down the road, so I'll take the opportunity. But we're thrilled that you're here. And uh, Graham was praying into me going on retreat for the 30th anniversary of my ordination. That's actually on the day when Becky's instituted. And it's all feeling very significant for me as well as for you. But you are extremely welcome. Anyway, apologies for interrupting the flow of the sermon. Had to be done. Right, three points as always. And actually, as always, about 15 points. But I'm pretending there are three. Uh, the first point is that God wants his church to be united. The first point is that unity in the spirit is a fact. We are united in the Holy Spirit. Let's read verses 3 to 6 of Ephesians 4 again. Uh, if you want to chase this around and follow it through, there are Bibles on the tables behind the pillars. Uh, we're going to go backwards and forwards in this passage a bit, but it'll all come on the screen. 
Ephesians 4 from verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. You cannot keep something you don't have. Uh, from time to time, people say to me they're going to keep fit. And I usually say, do you mean going to get fit? <laughs> which, which now they say that to me. Uh, but it, unity in the Spirit is a given. If I belong to Jesus Christ, if I've bowed the knee to Jesus, he has put his Spirit in me. God is my Heavenly Father. I am his Son. If you've done that, God is your Heavenly Father. You are God's son or daughter. We are brothers and sisters. Like it or lump it. Uh, you cannot choose your brothers and sisters. They're given to you. Uh, most of us who have brothers and sisters grew up fighting with them half the time. Uh, and that happens a bit within the church as well. But there is a unity in the spirit that is a given. There's one baptism. I'll be baptizing Joel later on this morning and then two of our young adults this evening. They're not baptized into the Church of England. They are baptized into the Church of God. All the Christian denominations recognize when baptism is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're baptized into the church, the worldwide church. Uh, as we say in the creed, the Catholic Church. That doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church. Catholic from the Greek kataholos, it means according to the whole worldwide thing. There's one worldwide church we're baptized into. If you are a Christian, I'm a Christian, we're brothers and sisters. Uh, there is great opportunity to forgive each other. But there is a unity there, as there is in every family, that we are to keep. We can't create that unity. God creates it, and we are to keep it. And we're told in verse 3 to make every effort to keep it or to maintain it. Uh, church unity is not, Christian unity is not an optional extra for some Christians who like that kind of thing. Uh, unity is a massive theme uh, of this letter from St. Paul to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding churches. Uh, let's flip back a bit at what we saw last term, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. God has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. That will finally come when Jesus returns. That's the plan that God's revealed to us. But unity is close to his heart. That's what he's aiming for. In chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, Paul's talking about how Jesus abolished the division between Jew and Gentile. He himself is our peace, who's made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. God's planning for a great unity when Jesus returns of heaven and earth and all his people uh, he's made it possible by dying for our sin so we can all be forgiven and it, included in his family and breaking down the barriers between us. In chapter 3 and verse 6, we read this. There's a mystery that God has revealed to us that through the gospel, the Gentiles, that's most of us, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body. There is this, this is all the theology in chapters 1 to 3. Now chapter 4, so there is a unity in the Spirit, and we are to make every effort to keep it. Jesus prayed for this. Do you remember the prayer in John 17, the night before he died? Jesus' high priestly prayer. John 17, verse 20. 
Jesus prays not only for the 12 disciples, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. That's an extraordinary prayer. The unity of the Holy Trinity is perfect. And Jesus prays that we would be united like that. It will only fully be answered when the Lord returns. But we are to work towards that as Jesus prays towards that. It doesn't have to be an institutional unity, but it is meant to be observable. It's been a tragedy down the years when churches have split from each other for bad reasons and then not talked to each other. Uh, the world is rightly scandalized. <clears throat> How can we believe in a message of reconciliation between God and people if you lot can't even be reconciled with each other? I remember uh, as a student, as a young, keen Christian, the number of times people ask me, well, what about Northern Ireland then, the Protestants and the Catholics? Don't get asked that so much now. Uh, of course, the genuine Christian faith, there were groups of Protestants and Catholics praying with each other. There were terrorists converted in the Mose prison from both sides who went on preaching tours together and got shot at from both sides. That was never in the news. Where there's genuine love for Jesus, you find a love for his other children and a desire to work towards that. Uh, one of my favorite bits of scripture on this is Psalm 133, that very short psalm with the weird illustrations. But it says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now, some things are good and some things are pleasant. Cream cakes are pleasant, but they're not very good for you. Uh, Brussels sprouts apparently are good, but I don't think they're very pleasant. I've got the gene that makes them taste bitter. Uh, Everybody else says they're sweet, not for me. But some things are good and pleasant, and Christian unity is that. And then these weird illustrations, it's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. There's something about this coming down thing, that God gives this. It comes down. Uh, but anyway, the last verse of the psalm, there the Lord bestows his blessing. God spoke to me very powerfully through this verse around the time we developed our vision for the church, that it wasn't about St. Paul's, it was about the town. And I felt a divine nudge to become chair of churches together and felt that if we, if we can work for the unity of Christians in the town, the Lord will bless what's going on in the town more. Where brothers and sisters dwell in unity, there the Lord bestows his blessing. And it's been wonderful down the years. I hosted a monthly prayer lunch for church leaders for 11 years, which we've just moved from St. Paul's to the new building of the well, and we're sharing around it again. An extraordinary privilege, month by month, to have leaders of most, most, almost all the churches in the town come, and the different Christian organizations coming and praying together for God's blessing on this town. Uh, amazing what God's done down the years. Uh, some of you have seen many more years than I have here, but just in my time here, the way the Lord brought the well to birth and food banks and street pastors and the debt center and Thrive and Nightlight and so many other things. And when people encounter these ministries, they're often amazed that people from different churches are working together. It's really healthy. There is a unity in the spirit that God gives and we're to work on keeping it.
And when I've preached into this in the past, I've usually preached into we're cooperating with other churches. But of course, it's just as true within a church family. We need to work at the unity we have within St. Paul's and within the teams and the small groups uh, of the church. Uh, We are a church family. Now, I don't know what your family's like. Uh, We have five children in our family, now all adult. Uh, Three of them married, one with a girlfriend. So there's 11 of us now when we're together. Sometimes it's very good, but as they were growing up, often it wasn't. Uh, Usually there was some fighting going on somewhere. Famously once where uh, one son tried to break down a bedroom door with a cricket bat to attack another son. There were other things that went on. People look at the vicar's family, oh, it's all right for you, it's all lovely. We said, well, come and live with us for a bit. I remember being on holiday uh, down on a beach somewhere, I think it was in in Brittany, and... uh, All the children were playing really nicely, digging something down towards the tide line. And Juliet and I were having a rare moment of peace up at the other end of the beach. And in my mind was that line from Rob Parsons, catch them doing something right, instead of just always what they're getting wrong. So I went down to express great pleasure at how beautifully they were playing. And as I got near, I just heard them bickering and arguing. Now... That happens in families. We, there are times of glorious unity. There's times when it's not like that, when there's tension and argument and disagreement. How much more in a church family, where there's about 750 of us if we were all together, different ages, male and female, old and young, huge great differences, different class backgrounds, as we sang earlier, loud and quiet, formal and informal, more cerebral, more feely, people who love things pinned down and the people who rather go with the flow, people who love being with other people, people who'd rather be on their own. It's, as we sang, we're all different. Of course there are tensions. If there aren't tensions, and we're, we're probably not close enough, but we're to then work at this unity. God's given us a unity, and we're to work at it. And in verse 2 of our passage, chapter 4, verse 2, uh, we get a clue how. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another in love. The word humble to the Greeks was an ugly word, as it is in some of the honor-shame religions around the world. It spoke of weakness, of slaves, the opposite of self-respect. Winston Churchill once described someone as a humble man with lots to be humble about. <laughs> now, that's... But Jesus came and demonstrated a different sort of humility, one that washed disciples' feet, one that put others' needs before himself, one that was secure in who he was, so he didn't need to maintain his own status, as it were. He could give. And we're to be like that. He continually had it in for the Pharisees, who were so proud and about their robes and their status and the best seats. We're to be humble, not because we're thinking about ourselves too little, but because we're not thinking of ourselves at all. We're putting the other first. We're to be gentle, or that word is sometimes translated meek, Greek word praus. It's used, the sort of word that's used of breaking in a horse or a stallion, you know, the cowboy movie uh, with a wild horse that nobody can tame, and then this rugged cowboy gets hold of it and slowly breaks it in, uh, and the horse submits to him and that the strength is channeled. Is the horse weak? No, very strong. It's got lots of energy and power, but it doesn't kick anymore. It's submitted, and the strength is channeled. That's the sort of word for meek 
and gentle. It's a submitted word where uh, it doesn't insist on getting its own way. This is this bear with one another in love. We're to be patient. Literally, patient means to be long-tempered. What's that? Well, it's the opposite of short-tempered. We all know what short-tempered is like, and we all get it in different... We all have buttons that get pushed, and we find how short our temper is. Long-tempered is the opposite of that. It's what you have to be when your children are learning to sleep through the night, or learning to be toilet-trained, or learning to walk, or actually with most people we work with, or frankly in a church with people, some of whom we naturally click with and some of whom we find slightly tricky. Well, this is how we are, to bear with one another in love. I wonder who you need to bear with particularly. And let's just pray that God would give us grace to do that so that within our church family, as well as between churches, we get better at keeping the unity of the Spirit. Uh, that was actually one point, all of that. Uh, unity in the Spirit is a fact, it's given, and we're to work at keeping it. Uh, second point, unity in the faith is a goal. So in the same passage, verse 13, there's a unity we don't have. Paul says we're to do all this until we all reach unity in the faith. So here's a unity we don't yet have, a unity in the faith. We're not agreed about everything yet. Lots of us... Uh, on a relatively trivial level, some folks uh, believe in baptizing the children of Christian families, which is our tradition at St. Paul's. The more Baptist tradition doesn't do that and waits till people can promise for themselves. Joel's come from that tradition and we're baptizing him later. We're happy with both in our church family. The default is Christian family baptism, but we recognize we see things differently. That's okay. Some of those differences are much more serious and there's plenty of debates going on in the worldwide church about all sorts of things. We haven't yet got a unity in the faith. We are to work towards this. As we grow more mature, we'll get more united in the truth of Jesus and how he wants to lead his church. But making every effort has to be engaging with those who see things differently, trying to understand, to listen, to learn, to pray. Uh, we have a unity in the spirit that we're to keep as we try and understand God's plan for us. Now, classically, in the evangelical world, there's been a bit of a division between those who are people committed to the Word and those who are people committed to the Holy Spirit. It ought to be both. When I stand here to take a wedding, I say, that which God has joined together, let not man divide. And the Word and the Spirit belong together. But tragically, down the years, and certainly over the last 50 years, there was a bit of a split between the more conservative churches and the more charismatic churches. What a tragedy. I thank God for our church family here where there is a unity. We're submitted to God's word. We want to, as the word teaches, eagerly desire prophecy and the gifts of the spirit. Uh, but we need to hold together on this. Uh, of course, there are wider church traditions as well uh, that are not from the evangelical tradition that we are here at St. Paul's. I mentioned that word Catholic, cataholos, the whole worldwide church. Uh, so we work and pray together with Christians from different traditions who see things differently. And where we disagree about something important, we have to come back to the scriptures and see what God teaches. Not everything goes. We're submitted to the scriptures, but we're to work at this together. Uh, some people say, well, I love Jesus, but I really I struggle with the church. We are the body of Christ can you imagine saying to someone, I love you, but I don't like your body? 
or in Ephesians 5, we'll get that we are the bride of Christ. Imagine someone said to me, well, I like you, Jonathan, I don't think much of your wife. Actually, it's the other way around, really. Everybody loves Juliet, and they struggle with me. That's the way it works. But imagine saying that to Jesus. I love you, Jesus, but I don't like your bride or your body. doesn't go down very well. Jesus died for his body. He loves his bride. And if we love Jesus, we're to love the whole church. How? Well, another thing in love. The last one was bearing with each other in love. Here there's a line about speaking the truth in love. Verse 15 Speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body. Actually, in the Greek, it doesn't say speaking. It just says truthing in love. That means doing the truth, speaking the truth. That includes the truth of what we believe about God. Our doctrine matters, and we're to watch it, as Paul said to Timothy. But also, it's the way we relate to each other. It has to be truthful. So in next week's passage, verse 25, tells us we're not to lie to each other. You must put off falsehood. So the church in Ephesus was full of all sorts of problems. Uh, They weren't lying to each other. They had to stop that. We're one body. If my eye lies to me and says there's no steps here, walk on, I'm going to have an accident, and that's not going to be good for my eye either. It will get bruised. We are to speak truth to each other. We're one body. That includes truth that's difficult to hear. We're to love one another, but we're also to admonish one another. This is the importance of the small groups and prayer triplets and formations to form close relationships so we have the right to speak into each other's lives and we give permission when people see us with our diaries out of order and our priorities wrong or maybe drinking too much alcohol or with different issues, whatever it may be. Maybe something in a relationship that's not right. We need to be able to speak that truth to each other in love. And when that happens, our relationship with each other grows. One of my closest friends I've known for 35 years. Uh, 30 years ago, he was a follower of Jesus Christ. He got into a relationship with someone who didn't share his Christian faith. And I was deeply exercised by this. I'd seen far too many people lose their Christian faith through a relationship with someone who didn't share their Christian faith. The Bible tells us, don't be unequally yoked with each other. Uh, And I prayed for him with a couple of others. They said, he knows it won't last. But I felt compelled to write to him. And I wrote to him. and just said, you know, I love you. I'm concerned. Can we meet and chat? Can Can we pray? And I got a very brief postcard back. Dear Jonathan, thanks for your letter, R. And I thought, oh, no. I heard nothing for three months. And then he wrote to me a lovely letter saying, thank you for loving me so much to say it. You were the only friend that said what I knew was true. Uh, We've parted amicably, uh, but this friend formed a a beautiful uh, Christian marriage, just celebrated 25 years, been able to do things for the kingdom together that they could never have done if there'd been this constant tension at the deepest part of them. We're to speak this truth to each other. Now, some people still make choices we don't agree with. We're to carry on loving them regardless. But just as an aside, to anyone who is considering marriage to someone who doesn't share your Christian faith, you are setting yourself up for a life of tension until we we pray gloriously that's resolved by people coming to know Jesus. It doesn't always happen. Though that's what we want to pray for. We're to speak the truth to each other. We're to forgive each other. Uh, Having been here 18 years, I think I've annoyed most of you at some point or other. Uh, If it hasn't happened yet, 
it probably will. Um, we're not perfect, none of us. It's like in any family. And we have to forgive each other. And Jesus taught very clearly on this. If we could just put Matthew 18, 15 up. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. You, tell, you go and tell them, not everybody else. Jesus put it the other way around in Matthew 5, 23 to 24. If you're offering your gift at the altar and remember your brother or sister had something against you, leave your gift there, go and be reconciled to them. So either way around, if they've got something against you, you've got something against them, go and sort it out just between the two of you. And I've taught the church down the years, and I've tried to do this myself, though I've not always got it right. If there is something, go and see them individually. What we tend to do is tell everybody else apart from them. So if someone comes to you and says, you'll never guess what someone's done, please will you say, have you been to see them? And if they say, no, not yet, say, well, I don't want to hear any more. You go and see them. You know what Jesus says. I'll pray for you, and next week I'll ask how it went. If that's how you react every time, at the very least, people will stop gossiping to you because they know how you'll react. If we can do that, it will help us deal with things before they blow up. So we're to speak the truth in love. That includes the doctrinal truth of Jesus as Lord, the things that the scriptures are clear about holiness that matter. There are some things that are not negotiable if we're to follow Jesus as Lord, and our unity has to be in him. So first main point, there is a unity that's given and we're to keep it. Second main and we, we do that by bearing with each other in love. There is a unity we don't yet have, and we work towards that. And we do that as we do the truth in love, as we speak truth, as we live truth in love. Thirdly, and slightly more briefly, uh, unity does not mean uniformity. We're not all the same. There's a wide variety. These middle verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 7 to 13. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. God's given gifts to everybody. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. The images of a triumph in Rome, the victorious general comes with all the spoils of war, and everybody there gets given gifts. And here is the picture of Jesus, victorious, risen from the dead, ascended on, on high, giving gifts to his people. Uh, let's carry on. Uh, I've mentioned that. Let's go on to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. This five-fold gifting, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the church to be healthy, we need all five of those. Uh, there's a new little acronym in vogue called APEST, where the pastor is changed to shepherd. It's the same word, uh, the S there. So APEST is apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. We need them all. Now, when England was recognized as a Christian country, by and large, it needed pastoring and teaching. And the Church of England primarily has ordained pastors and teachers, but not necessarily the awkward apostles or evangelists or prophets. So not surprisingly, with a focus on two of that fivefold gifting, the Church of England rather lost its way. If your small group is to be healthy, if your team is to be healthy, if the church is to be healthy, we need this fivefold gifting. I used to think these were all leadership gifts, but it doesn't say that. They don't have to be. Plenty of people prophetically gifted who aren't leaders and so on. But we need this gift. If your group is all full of pastors, when the Lord wants to bring change through an apostle, uh, you really don't like it. We need the full 
group. If your group is all full of apostles, then heaven help you. You need some, you need some pastors. The thing is, we're a, we need a variety of those. So we were looking for an associate vicar. The thing we're weakest on in the senior team of the church is evangelist. We have a certain amount of apostle and prophet and pastor and teacher. We can do the work of evangelist. We're looking for an associate vicar or maybe uh, a curate with the right gifts who, who can help us with our evangelism mission to fill out those gifts. In your small groups, your teams, there may be a gifting you're missing there and you might want to look for someone to join you in that. The point is everybody's gifts come into play but again, it needs to be in love. We're to bear with each other in love, we're to do the truth in love, and we're to use our gifts in love. So finally, verse 16. If we could put up verse 16. From Jesus, he is the head, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. That's the third time it's said in love in this passage. As each part does its work. We've all got a part to play, to help the church be the church, to equip the church. The word equip is used of mending nets, setting them right, of uh, mending a bone or setting a bone straight in a body, in politics of bringing united factions together. Gosh, we could use that today. Uh, the idea of helping to set something how it ought to be, for the church to be how it ought to be, we've all got gifts and they all need to be used. So a recap and then we'll pray. There is a unity in the spirit that is given. We are to keep it, to bear with each other in love. There is a unity in faith we don't yet have. We're to work towards it. We're to do the truth in love with each other. And unity is not uniformity. We're a body. All the parts are needed and we're to use our gifts in love. There are times when we have to be very gentle with our body, as I had to be on Wednesday, uh, after spending the night in the bathroom. I had to cancel all my engagements. I was fairly fragile. I was pretty gentle with my body. I didn't go and play racquetball. I didn't do my morning exercises. <laughs> By yesterday morning, I was feeling well enough and I needed to start being active again and needed to start doing my morning exercises again. Got back on the scales, found I'd lost two pounds. Marvellous. It's an unpleasant way to do it, but there we go. There are times to be gentle with each other. There are times to spur one another on as the body. And we need the Lord to lead us. Let's stand and we'll pray. And I wonder if the band would come back ready to lead us in our last song in just a moment. If you're a visitor among us, just a word of explanation. I'm going to lead in a prayer that picks up some of these themes. We're going to pray for God to come afresh by his spirit, to increase his presence among us. We'll be still for a minute or two, see what he wants to do. And then we'll sing. And if folks would like to be prayed for, that can happen too. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. You are the head of the body. In you, all things hold together. We thank you for each other. We thank you for the rich variety of gifting and background and experience that you've given to us. We thank you that there is a unity, that we are all brothers and sisters in you as we seek to follow Jesus as our Lord. We know that we don't see things the same way. Help us to develop this unity in the faith within this church, between the churches of our town. And we pray that your body will grow in maturity, in understanding, in health, in joy, in unity, in gifting, in effectiveness, for the honor of Jesus and the growth of his kingdom. So send your spirit 
afresh on us now, on each of us individually, on us together. Come and have your way among us. Take this truth deep within us and apply it to us. Let's just be still. For some of you, it's praying through the people you need to bear with, to be patient, to forgive. For others, God's calling you to step up and use your gifts and offer them in different places. Some of you just might be wondering whether the Lord really sees you. Uh, As we were praying before the service, we had a sense that God sees every one of us. He knows you. He knows you by name. He loves you. Jesus died for you. Just ask him to reveal that to you more. One or two of you are carrying such heavy burdens that it's hard to engage with what I've been teaching. The Lord wants to release you from carrying burdens that are not yours there's things to carry that he asks but sometimes we take on more than that you know I just want to process that with him and we had a couple of pictures of God doing something new there was a picture of a house that was ruined and God saying I'm rebuilding something new we think it's our lives particularly And there was a picture of a flowing river with big boulders stopping the flow and the Lord wanting to move those boulders. Lord, we pray that you would remove the boulders from the flow of your river in this place and this town and minister to us individually. If you'd like someone to pray with you about any of this as we sing our last song, just come forward and folks will pray with you. Or after the service, there'll be people at the front on the right. We're going to sing again, though. And as we sing, Holy Spirit, continue to minister to us and show us how to respond individually to what you've taught this morning. Uh, And as we sing, if you've got little people in the groups, it's about time to go and get them. So I'm sorry, you'll need to nip out and do that as I've gone on a bit long. Uh, But as we sing, Lord, continue your work among us, we pray.